Um, so uh, today uh, is the second, and um, we made it through yesterday, April Fool's Day, and nobody pulled an f- April Fool on me. If it hasn't come to your consciousness by April 1st, it's just a prank and deserving of full retaliation. That's all I can say about that. April, um, okay, so today's the second. I picked two verses since it was the second. Don't know why that makes sense. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you and understanding will keep you. Sounds like a great deal. I love the book of Proverbs. Today we're going to start a new series and uh, the, we've kind of entitled it Building a Family God's Way. And I have to tell you, I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to do a few weeks on family. There's going to be an interruption, um, not really an interruption, but there's this thing called Easter coming, and I feel like I'm going to go off topic for that, actually, for a couple of weeks. And on Easter, I'm going to talk about the rapture. So I've been mentioning that to you. It'll be a traditional Easter service, but the topic, I'm going to talk about the rapture. I just feel like that's what the Lord wants me to do. So here we go. And... Um, but in the meantime, uh, I want to talk for a few weeks. And I say this too. I, 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 spend, I plan my messages way off in the future. And then I continually say, Lord, is this still what you want? And, uh, you know, it's just that something happens in my devotions. And I've just had a strong impression for a while to spend some time on family. And um, so because of all of the other things that are going on, I'm going to spend a few weeks on family, but I'm really um, going to save up and go after it in the fall. I will do a longer, uh, more in-depth one. And listen, it doesn't, it doesn't only have relevance to you if you have you know, 5.3 people in your household and a sheepdog and a station wagon. This is going to be relevant to, um, I believe the Word of God relevant is, is relevant to all of us. So... Uh, I want us to get into the Word of God and um, see if we can just access the power of the resurrected Christ to help us with our home and our marriage and in our family relationships. And our home base for this little brief series that we're in is going to be Psalm 127. It's a phenomenal scripture because once you come to know the Lord, um, you know you can build your entire life on this one book of the Bible. And it's what, like seven or eight? It's short, very, very short. We're going to read the whole thing in a minute. And um, you know, there's just some very, very simple truths in this little brief book of the Bible, Psalm 127. And here's the risk. It's so short, and the truths are so simple that the risk is we gloss over it because we think, well, this is shallow water. There's really nothing here for me. I'm just going to move on to the deep water. And then you will miss something really, really rich inside there. So let's just, let's just go ahead and read it. I guess it's five verses. Psalm 127, we're going to read one through five. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So uh, today our, our focus is really going to just be on the first two verses, and we'll get back to the, um, the rest of that at, in the future. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So I want to jump right in, get, get into our, our points here, and I want to begin with this one first. Number one, only the Lord can build a family. Only the Lord can build a family. Now, you might be literal and look at this verse and say, hey, hold on a second, Terry. Um, 
This, um, this passage isn't talking about building a family. It's talking about building a house. Okay. This passage is not a course in home building 101. Okay. So just, uh, although it says a house, um, it's very, very common in, in scripture. There are many, many places where there's a reference made to a house and it's referencing the, the lineage. It's a, it's a family that it's talking about. And, um, I, I mean, I've even heard, um, I heard of a construction company that very cleverly used a verse, um, as their kind of their company motto, Proverbs 24. Three, through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it's established. Again, now this is a verse not about building houses. It's not about construction and two by fours. It's uh, about building a home or a family. Proverbs fourteen one says, "Every wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands." Again, talking about families, talking about homes. So the point here, obviously, the first one in, in Psalm 127 is only the Lord can build a family. Now, um, if you have a Bible with any commentaries at all, um, you'll have some notes in there sometimes. And um, mine says that this was written by Solomon. I should point out that when you have those kinds of notes in your Bible, those are not inspired. Okay, Those are not scripture. Some educated, learned person somewhere has added those commentaries to kind of help you understand what you're looking at, and they are not inspired. So they may be accurate, they probably are accurate, but they may not be. Okay, they're just, it's not the same as the rest of the word. Anyway, mine says, written by Solomon, and it very possibly was. Solomon was the third king. Scripture says he was the wisest man who ever lived, and um, uh, so... I mean, he, this guy, Solomon, if this was written by him, and I think it was, um, it, it was, it was, you know, it, this is a guy who had huge amount of experience with the vast emptiness of trying to live life in times on his own instead of following God. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes is him describing all this time he spent, you know, trying to find pleasure and uh, happiness without God. And basically, he describes. He basically, I'll sum it up for you. I wasted my time. That's basically the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't say you read it just because I just gave you that abridged version. But, but um, you know. Anyway, there are some other suggestions that maybe it wasn't written by Solomon. It might have been written by David about his son Solomon. Could be. Either way. Um, Psalm one twenty. What, what we have in, in, in Psalm one twenty seven is the result of reflecting upon you know Solomon's life and what Solomon learned, and that's this. It's impossible to build a family without God. I mean, not only is it impossible, but it's really, it can be really, really painful. And some of you have probably experienced some of that. You know, I think all of us, to some degree, have experienced some painful, something painful about a process of trying to build a family without God. And um, the results of, of that pain can be really devastating. So I'm bringing you good news here today, and that's that this, unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor, build it labor in vain. I may think about our country. Um, I love our country, and uh, we've been around for a while, and we've been around long enough to have some history. And we have a history of these great families who helped build our country. I mean, if you like history at all, you can probably figure this out. Um, you know, there have been some really, really great families. And, but were they really great families? I mean, they had money, and they had power, and they had position and influence. But were they really great families? I mean, I'm going to give you a couple of notable examples who would 
certainly make a list of people who are great people in the history of the United States. Um, I'm going to go way back to the first century of our country to a guy named um, Cornelius Vanderbilt. You may have heard the name Vanderbilt. It's kind of synonymous with money and luxury and privilege. Um, he was born in, in 1794, and um, he, he, he basically got rich with shipping and railroads. And so he was a pretty famous guy. And this, this family, which is now famous, that's him sitting straddling two locomotives, you know, showing how powerful he was. Um, you know, it, it, the Vanderbilts have been around for at least six generations now. And if you study the Vanderbilt family, in spite of all of the power and all of the influence and all of the authority, all of it that they have, their whole history is filled with pain and tragedy. In the most recent um, couple of generations, um, it was it was mostly scarred by this child custody battle um, over Gloria Vanderbilt. And um, it was a huge custody battle between her mother and her aunt. And this thing raged. And of course, people of power with this, this kind of scandal going on, it makes the news. And, and they basically called her the poor little rich girl. Some of you might remember that phrase, poor little rich girl, Gloria Vanderbilt. Um, here's Then the next generation, Gloria um, has tragedy in her life in the late 80s. She watched, she watched the tragedy of her 23-year-old son, Carter, leap to his death from her balcony. She watched him commit suicide. What a tragedy for a parent. It's never the answer. Anytime I bring up suicide in a message, I want, I want to take a minute and say to every one of you, you are precious, loved, valuable children of the king. Suicide is never an answer. It's never an answer. Anyway, so just this great family? I don't know. It's just a lot of tragedy there. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord. Another great family um, that would maybe come up was a guy born in 1863 named William Randolph Hearst. And um, he came to prominence in the second, you know, and and he had this obsession with building um, a a castle in San Simeon, um, California Castle. I might leave that up for a bit, if you wouldn't mind, Amy. I'm going to describe that. But, but he had an obsession with this. Maybe, maybe you've been there because you know, now it's turned into kind of a museum tourist destination. I think it might be a state of California park or something. I'm not too sure. It got donated. But let me describe to you this man's obsession with building a home. Okay, 58 bedrooms, 41 fireplaces, 61 bathrooms. He had more bathrooms than bedrooms. I don't know. He had this huge main dining hall. And I will just tell you that the dining hall at, at, at the Hearst Castle was the model for the dining hall at Hogwarts. If you don't know what that is, you don't need to know. If you do know, then you know what I'm talking about. You get this picture of this way oversized... And I'm not recommending a movie series, okay? I'm just telling you, if, if you know what that is, it's a, it's a huge dining hall... Uh, the grounds are 127 acres of gardens and indoor and outdoor swimming pools and tennis courts and movie theater and a private landing strip. It goes on. I mean, this, this a visit, being invited to the Hearst Castle was a very, very sought-after social deal if you were a luminary in the, in the world at all. And um, here's a list of some of the people who agreed and came and spent time at their... I'm uh, Just a quick list of names you may recognize. Charlie Chaplin, Cary Grant, Clark Gable, James Stewart, Bob Hope, the Marx Brothers, Greta Garbo, Joan Crawford, Franklin Roosevelt, Winston... The, 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 name goes, the list goes on. 
And it was very sought after, and if you were going to visit him, you would either fly in in a private plane and land on his private airstrip, or you might take his private railroad car from the airport in Los Angeles to, you know, he had his own railroad car, which, okay. Um, you know, and um, the deal was this. If you got an invitation, it was open-ended. Hey, come and hang. It wasn't, hey, come from the 14th to the 23rd. It was, come on. And you just hang as long as you want. And the way that you knew that, okay, you, you, they would have all these, you could see all these villas. You would just have your own private villa and you would just hang out and do your thing. You, nothing was expected of you except to come to dinner every night. And you would attend the dinner in this big, great big huge hall. And that was all that was expected of you. You would be waited on the rest of the time. And how you would know if you had worn out your welcome is that your seat would get further and further and further away from, from Hearst, right? They would never say to you, it's time for you to go. You would just all of a sudden find yourself at the end of this, you know, 100-yard-long table or something. I don't know. And um, the castle was never actually finished. The construction went on for 28 years. It went on and on and on. And there's a story behind that. Here's the thing. It was never enough. It was just never enough. His, his marriage um, was marred by this lifelong affair he had with a woman, uh, an alcoholic woman um, named Marion Davies. And, and then you may know his granddaughter, Patty Hurst, who was kidnapped by um, well, the SLA, but um, they were, it was just radicals. She was kidnapped by radicals and disappeared for a while. And then the next place she popped up was on bank cameras, and she was willingly participating in bank robberies with them. Not any parent's best note to watch their kidnapped whatever. So she's, you know, and, and, and there is a very, there's a classic movie. I think it might have won the, won the Academy Award at some point for the best movie um, called Citizen Kane. If you've seen it, it's, it was a great movie back a long time ago. I watched it again recently, and it wasn't so great. But <laughs> the whole movie is about Hearst. It's about his life. And the punchline, spoiler coming, the punchline of the whole movie is this research. What were his, his dying words? What did they mean? He says the word Rosebud. Remember that? Yeah. Rosebud. It's the name of his sled when he was a little boy. All he cared about, I told you it was a spoiler. I mean, his whole life, all this stuff, it amounted to nothing. He didn't care about any of that when he died. Unless the Lord builds house. You know, it's a tragic story. Part of our country's history of great families. I mean, consider the last hundred years and come up with your own list of names. I mean, it's easy. I, I started thinking about that. Okay, who are the big names that would come up in our family? Roosevelt's, Rockefeller's, Kennedy's, all of those names completely laced with tragedies and problems and destruction. It, it just All of this shows that seeking greatness without God, unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, they, they labor in, in vain. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal, um, and um, I thought it would, it's real, it seemed appropriate. To, to, let me just read to you a paragraph out of it. Um, the title of the article was, was, Can You Go Back? More professionals returning to church, they find that having it all isn't enough. Okay, so read a little bit here. In many ways, the years have been good to Kenny Lombino. 
He has a job with a top brokerage firm in Los Angeles, a $600,000 bachelor pad, a blue Jaguar with vanity plates. He's a master skydiver. But last year he felt like he needed something more. I thought, here's, this is him talking now, quoting him, I thought, here I am, 45 years old, and my life isn't going anyplace. I have a penthouse in Westwood and the right kind of car, and my life is empty. So he did something really radical. He went back to church. <laughs> Many people once felt a need for formal relationship with God only when they got married, had babies, or were about to die. Now people in their 40s and 50s are finding themselves at the peak of their careers, wealthy from the stock market or whatever, and still feeling there's something missing. The article says, you know, after talking to a lot of these people, they're dissatisfied. They've landed on the moon and they're saying, is this all there is? People returning in large numbers to God, hopefully embracing the truth that we're talking about today, unless the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain who build it. And here's the good news. God is building families. God is doing that. God is doing it today. He's, he's healing marriages. He's, he's, he's restoring parents to their children. He's bringing families back into relationship and, and, and couples. And he's doing phenomenal things. He's building. God is building. God is building. And so many of you have experienced what God's doing. But here's the second thing, too. Trying to build without God is useless. Trying to build without God is useless. Now, you might notice that I'm kind of pounding on this nail over and over again. You might think that I've already got it down to the surface of the wood, but I'm going to keep on pounding on it because I think it's really, really important. Um, and, and that's where this whole series is going to be based. Now, uh, I, I am going to, like I said before, I'm going to defer from the series for Easter, and, and uh, so I'll let you know that there's going to be some inter- interruption in this. So even though we know that only the Lord can build a house, you might admit, like I do, sometimes I go back to doing things on my own. I mean, I end up facing this truth, they labor in vain who build it. I mean, I do that every once in a while. Am I the only one? I I, I do that every once in a while. This word vain, um, if you look it in the dictionary, it says it's trifling efforts that produce no good. Okay, so that's that's what Webster says. The word vain in the um, original Hebrew, though, brings in some other... It it actually means a destruction from a passing tempest. A tempest is a storm, okay? So it's the aftermath of some storm going by, um, and it figuratively, there's a connotation. It connects to idolatry, okay? So it's like a storm goes by and leaves destruction in its path, and it's somehow idolatry was involved, okay? So that's, and in fact, you find this exact same Hebrew word in Exodus 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the Lord of the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's the same vain as building your house on your own instead of with God with you. In other words, he, this is, there's, a, there's a concept here that trying to build your house on your own without God is a form of idolatry. It's a form of idolatry. And God is saying, hey, 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 that is my territory. Back up. Terry, back up. That's my place to build your family. Now, I know I have some responsibilities, but there's a place of idolatry when I, say, when I get to the point of saying, well, I, I realize, God, but I have a better idea than you do about how to get that done. <laughs> Ooh, I'm afraid that lightning's going to strike me right here. Um, so it's that same one, um, you know, God's saying, don't go there. And um, 
you know, it seems like I'm trying to do something which has no hope of success, but somehow I find myself going there sometimes still. It's vanity. Vanity. I remember when I was a little kid um, <laughs> doing something that I knew was going to fail no matter what. I knew it was going to be. I did it almost every night. I grew up, um, and I was a little guy. My, I had one sister at that point, Shelly. She was about two years older than me. And we all know that girls tend to grow up and mature faster than boys, right? So she already had a two-year head start, plus she had that, that girl advantage of, of the little boys. And, have. and we, would, we had two twin beds in a small bedroom. And um, we had this contest, and it came out this way. Every time, we would lock hands and pull and try to pull the other person onto the floor. And I could never pull her on the floor. And over time, I wouldn't quit. And so I learned, okay, I'll anchor myself, and I held on to the opposite side of my single bed, my mattress. Well, she would pull me, my mattress, my blankets, my everything <laughs> on the floor. And it wouldn't stop me. The next night again, I'm on the floor. Vain. And then there was other times, too. Um, I, I don't really remember who was involved in this. It might have been me and my little sisters or something. Or somebody might have done this to me. I'm not too sure. But did you ever have anybody stronger than you who would... Grab your arm and do this to you. <laughs> Terry, why are you hitting yourself? Stop it. <laughs> it's vain. It's vain. You know, I couldn't stop it. Nothing I could do. Powerless. That's vanity. Vanity basically says that no matter how much effort you put into it, it's going to produce nothing. Is this side of my face all red now? <laughs> it feels hot. I could even it out. <laughs> Man, you know, you think after one or two it would have made the point, but I keep um, all this, you know, all this striving, all of this wasted effort. Unless you're plugged into, unless you're plugged into the only resource which can build your house, and the only one that can see your dreams fulfilled is vanity. And I, I think that probably everybody in this room, you know, you have things that you want to see happen in your life. You, want to, you see things that you want to have happen in your children and your grandchildren. You have dreams for your family. You have dreams for your life. And I, I certainly have those things too. And, and, and God has a future for us and a plan and a hope. And it's a big deal. And, and all of that, the scripture is teaching us that all of that is dependent, incredibly, incredibly dependent on God. And, you know, maybe you can look into your rearview mirror and you can find some spilled milk, you know. You can find some of your plans that kind of went haywire because at some point you just didn't plug into this basic fundamental of Christian living. I thought about ways we do this. Um, ways we try to build our families without God. Okay? <laughs> Number one, through human effort. Okay? Okay? I'm a manly man. I can make this happen on my own. I got bootstraps. I'll pull myself up by those. I'm going to work 65 hours a week, and I'm going to take short vacations with my cell phone in my hand, and I'm going to push my wife, and I'm going to push my kids, and I'm going to remind them the fishers stand for excellence, and we will always do excellence. You got that? And uh, we're going <laughs> to... You know, we're winners, and don't you ever forget it. You know, and... Um, you know, building your family with your own effort, and, and God's not there. 
working and growing your family as, as only he can, it's a bad plan. It's just a bad plan. God says it's useless. Okay, number, number two. We try to build our families without God through human wisdom. Human wisdom. I'll study and figure this out. Now, I think we're all aware that the world has a lot of ideas about how to build a family. Okay? And that doesn't bother me at all. I think it's fine that the world has the world's plans and the world does it. What breaks my heart is when I watch the children of the Lord turn to the world for ideas about how to raise their children instead of God's word. It breaks my heart. I mean, it's just... Here's some examples of worldly wisdom available if you want to go that route. Okay? Here are some things that the world would say, here's how to raise your family. I'm going to blow through this. Don't let your kids cry when they're babies. Don't spank them when they're small children. That's human wisdom. Don't choose their friends for them. They should have freedom, so don't control their music or anything that they put into their minds. This is the world's advice for how to raise your children. When they're teenagers, give them lots of condoms and privacy. When, if they become pregnant, this is... Am I not telling the truth? Okay. If they become pregnant, let them decide about abortion privately. It's none of your business. That is the advice of the world about how to raise a family. And I'm looking to them, looking to the world for, for, for wisdom about how to raise your family. It's like you might as well go out and buy yourself a glass hammer or a concrete parachute. It's just not good. It's not going to work out. Okay, third way. A third way that, um, that we do this on our own is through human resources. Through human resources. You know, I think, okay, I'm going to buy a family. I'm going to make a lot of money, and I'm going to give my kids everything they want. Maybe they'll like me better, and um, I'm going to put them through college. They won't pay a penny of it. They won't have any responsibility for it. In fact, when they get married, I'm going to pay for the wedding. I'm going to pay for the honeymoon, and I'm going to give them a down payment for their house. Okay, I love the generosity of parents, but where is in all of this teaching? Where is, where is, okay, I can take this thing on, but, but it's through human resources. We try to pay our way to building a family. And I, I've watched people, I've watched people do that who really love God. But God wasn't building their home. He wasn't there. There wasn't this, this dependence on God that was being taught and centered in their children's hearts. And tragically, this led to children who didn't have any faith. It led to, led to children who, who had no trust of God on their own. What they learned was entitlement. What they learned was what they felt they had a right to. Only the Lord can protect a family. Two, trying to build without God is useless. Three, only the Lord can protect the family. Only the Lord can protect the family. Notice in the passage, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Okay, so the picture here would be a walled city and you've got a, a guard somewhere up in a tower because the walls alone are not enough and he's striving, he's pushing, this is down to me, I gotta stay awake. You know, he's struggling through the night not, not to fade off and hey, I got a news flash for you, guard. If, you know, if the enemy decides to storm the city at 2 a.m. and thousands of soldiers start crawling over the walls, you giving a warning and waking people up with 10 minutes warning isn't going to save the city. Now listen, I don't want to get into a military discussion with you. I understand if you're on a military patrol, you have to have somebody watch out. That's, that's a fact of life. That's not what I'm talking about here. 
I'm talking about a dependence upon a human effort to protect something that needs spiritual covering and protection. You know, I mean, I, I get that this guard here is all fired up and he's serious about what he's doing and he's going to do his job right, but we shouldn't overestimate the true power that this guy has. God says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I, um, I might have told this story to you personally, or maybe I've shared this before in church, I don't know, but um, back when Lisa and I had only been married for probably about three years, we had just moved into a house um, and, um, and into, into our first home, and we had this little powder room off the master bedroom, and one night in the middle of the night, I heard Lisa banging around in there, and it seemed like it's time to come to bed, and, uh, and um, I go to sleep just like that, you know, I, I have no idea, concept of the time, and, and um, I said, honey, come to bed, <laughs> in a loving tone, of course, just, honey, loved one, come to bed. <laughs> Best as I can remember. And, and her, her answer came, came immediately, what? Which was right next to my ear. I was instantly awake. Somebody was breaking into my house. Somebody was breaking into my house where my wife lives. Somebody was breaking into my house where my wife lives. And all of a sudden, blood pressure went up, adrenaline dumped, and I thought, okay, it's on. And um, I've hopefully grown and matured a little bit since then, but here's what I did. Now, I'm not proud of what I did, but I'm going to tell you what I did because this is to be transparent here. So I grabbed my 357 Magnum and headed for the front door, and out I went, <laughs> yelling, I'm outside, I got my gun, and I'm looking for you. I'm yelling, it's at 2 in the morning. <laughs> I wish that's all I did. Then I let a couple go. <laughs> Don't do that, okay? I'm angry. I'm angry and I'm protecting my wife and I'm stupid at this point. On, the, my, way, on my way out the door, I said, Lisa, call 911. Pretty soon I hear her voice from the front door. I'm out there. I don't know what I'm doing, walking in circles. God's like this. I couldn't, I couldn't see it, but I'm sure his hands are like, like this. Stay inside the hands, Terry. I'm going to keep you right there safe before you do something stupid. And I hear this voice. Um, Terry, I called the sheriff, told him you're outside with the gun. They said, go back in your house. <laughs> I went back in the house. I mean, okay. I was angry and violated. And it's my job to protect my wife. And I'm serious about protecting my wife. I can tell you right now, I'm getting angry again just thinking about that. That's been a long time ago, almost 40 years, 37, 38, 39 years. And I just, just was angry. And then over the next few days, nothing happened. Okay? But over the next few days, I, I felt so violated. Somebody tried to break into my house. I think Lisa felt the same way. We just, I just felt violated. What did I do? For the, probably the next three or four or five years, I slept with a loaded 357 Magnum right at my nightstand. <laughs> and at that point, I was a relatively young Christian, and I'm learning, and I'm devouring the Word of God, and I'm walking with the Lord, and 
And somewhere in those devotions, some things started happening where the Lord started talking to me about that gun. Hey, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman watches in vain. I started kind of hearing these kinds of things from the Lord. And then one day in my devotion, I heard this as clear as I can. I can still remember it. Hey, Terry, do you want to be responsible to protect your family or do you want me to be responsible? Do you want you and your 357 Magnum <laughs> to be able to protect? Dirty Harry had a 44 Magnum, which was pretty cool. Do you want to be responsible for that or do you want the creator of the heavens and the earth to tuck you under his wing? And it was really a little tiny bit about protecting my family and a huge amount about faith and trusting God. You know, if this city that this watchman is over is going to get protected, it's because the almighty God protects it. If God's not for this city, if he's not surrounding this city, then there's no watchman that's going to protect it. There just isn't. So, of course, I think we've got to compare that to our homes because, you know, there is a lot of relational gravity that sometimes competes with God to protect our homes. I mean, especially once you become a parent. It's so easy as a parent to let your love drive you to becoming overprotective. You know, there is such a thing as being overprotective. I'm not judging anybody. I don't have any of you in, my, in mind. But I think, you know, of course, I'm a dad, and I think that if a child skins their knees, it'll heal. If a mother sees their child skin their knees, she thinks, oh, all of their blood's going to come out. They're going to die. <laughs> the truth is somewhere in between there. Here are some things over the years that I've heard parents decide. I'm not assaulting you. You can assault me later if you want, okay? But I've heard this, no contact sports because once I watched a kid break his leg playing football. Okay. No youth trips because years ago I heard about a child in a youth group that didn't come back, and that's true. I mean, when Lisa and I were in church, the youth group at our church went to Ocean Shores, and all of the kids came back but one. It was heartbreaking. Do you remember that? It's terrible. I mean, um, one of my closest, dearest friends pastored a large church in Northern California. And if you can imagine what is the worst thing that can happen in a church nursery is one Sunday, they had a child in the nursery die from SIDS. How do you recover from that? How do you explain that? Do you decide, okay, well, obviously I can't take my children to church because a child died there. Or do you, do you let fear? I mean, I mean, okay. I mean, I'm never letting my kids out of my sight. I'm, they are never going to skin their knees. They're, they're never going to have any heartache. I'm going to protect them from that. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for protecting our children from certain influences. I mean, you know, we're not going to watch that in this house. We're not going to listen to that. You know, um, there are some things that we should teach our children, you know, Left, right, left before you cross, right? Not just look both ways. It's Rachel taught me. Left, right, my daughter taught me, you know. But if, if we as parents are, are, are cultivating any sort of a mindset where we, um, where we think that we can protect our children from the pain of life, it's just not going to happen. It's not. 
If God himself is not guarding over your family, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord protects my wife when I'm gone. You know, unless the Lord protects my children when I'm out of sight, and the, unless the Lord protects my family's health and my family's safety and my family's income. I mean, all of my efforts, if the Lord isn't doing all of my efforts to try to do that, they're in vain. They're worthless. They're wasted. Trying, trying to protect my family without God is useful. So, you know, to control these, these things, do we live our lives in some form of humble Dependence upon God with, with this awareness that, that you know, your life could change in just a moment. You know, we think, hey, I've got my plans. I, I, I've laid out my weeks. I know what I'm doing this week. I know what my months are going to be like. I know what my year is going to be like. Um, but you, we need to catch this truth that it's, it's, it's vain to protect, try to protect your family in your own power. I mean, it's been interesting for me as a, to become a grandfather for the first time to remember some things what, like, what it's like when your wife is pregnant. I'm kind of going through that again, and um, I've gotten twice now to watch my daughter go through pregnancy with Grace and um, Bella. And uh, moms today have, the, you know, there's new technology available, and some of it makes me chuckle. I mean, I appreciate it. I'm not laughing at this, but I, I love the, the diligence here. Um, you know, Rachel's got the benefit of this medical wisdom because she's gone in and, and both times she was pregnant, they gave her this laminated card to help her remember, here's some things you ought not to do to take care of your body while you're carrying this baby. Makes perfect sense. No alcohol, no smoking, be careful of prescription meds because sometimes they affect the baby, no unpasteurized cheese, no deli meats unless they're heated up to a steam. Am I getting this right? Okay. Um, no raw eggs. That's the problem. Cookie dough. No raw eggs. No sushi. You know, and I think about this whole process. Guys, we got it so easy, right? We do. They go through all this. Here's another one. And, and when they get to the later parts of their pregnancy, you, you're not supposed to sleep on your back if you're, you know, pregnant. <laughs> because you might pinch a nerve that somehow is tied to and it cuts off the circulation in your uterus. I mean, come on. Okay. I mean, it's wise. It's just plain wise to take these steps. It's just, it just, it, it, avoid, it avoids unnecessary risk. But that's different than relying upon, than trusting in, and knowing that if you do these things in this formula, everything will come out gold. Trusting in your human effort. Why am I talking about this? Well, back on November 20th, um, I taught a sermon it was Psalm 139, and the passage was, this is written by, by, by David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties or my fears. The, the two main points of that message were, search me, God, and reveal my fears. Help me out. I, um, I have a tendency, you know, when I preach, um, I, I go through a lot of stuff, and on the morning that I preach, I'm up pretty early, and I'm rehearsing my message again, probably for the seventh or eighth time. I, you know, I go through this a lot before I preach on Sunday, and so I'm up pretty early, and, and on that particular Sunday, back on November 20th, my computer screen lights up with a text message from my daughter, Rachel. What I'm going to tell you now, I have the permission to tell from every member of the family involved. I get a text message, 
At this point, she's several months pregnant with our third grandchild. And her text says, headed to St. Pete's, having contractions and other things. And we're way too early for that to be happening. Serious moment. So I said, okay, we're praying. And um, there were some ensuing phone calls. I ended up coming to church alone that morning. Um, I normally come with my wife. I don't want to come to church without my wife. (laughs) That's more true than my joke would let you know. (laughs) Um, I came alone and um, I talked to a handful of leaders who needed to know what was going on and, and I preached that message and then as quickly as the sermon ended and I walked off stage, I went right to my car and I started heading for St. Pete's because um, earlier before I preached, I had gotten a message. Lisa was already in the hospital with Rachel and Jason and uh, today I want to share with you um, about my grandson David that in, in spite of all of the details and the diligent care Rachel took care of her family and the way this couple protected over the future of the child. David came into the world that morning and he was already dead. And, you know, I got to the hospital and I held my lifeless little grandson seven inches long. It broke my heart. It broke all of our hearts. And if you've been there, you know. And uh, if you've been there, please forgive me for having touched a nerve. This is not fun. And we grieved our loss um, at different paces. And I think we still grieve that loss. And moments like this is another one for me, even though it's now four months later. Um, But the pain that we've carried and dealt with was the pain of loss. It wasn't an anger from some unmet expectation. It it wasn't some disappointment that God didn't protect something. There was never, not even a hint of of blaming God. There was not one single hint from any of these family members of somehow losing faith or questioning God's love. None of that. And... What carried us then and carried us today is the fact that we bear hug something about the love of God. That our loving God would not have called David home so early if it wasn't absolutely because he loved him and he had loving reasons. We don't start from a premise of, does God do things the way I want him to to prove his love? It's God loves us. So if I don't understand something, there's something I don't understand. But what I do understand is that there's a love motive behind this. And um, the reason that I chose to share the two stories about the Fisher clan, um, you know, one pretty old, you know, the 357 Magnum, and one very, very fresh and tender, is that both of these stories happened to pastors' families. You know, I don't know if you know this, that Rachel is a four-square pastor. Lisa is an ordained four-square pastor. I am too. And um, these kinds of things, you know, why is, this, why, is the, why is the pastor connection relevant? I think we have to dispense with a notion that there's an amount of spiritual maturity 
or amount of spiritual service or some, some amount of, of faithfulness to God that somehow is going to spare us from heartache. Nothing happens to us, but that it passes through the hands of a sovereign, loving God. And he allows what he's going to allow, and he prevents what he's going to prevent, and it's his choice because he's God. And all he promises to you and to me is sufficient strength in every heartache and um, fullness of joy to every person who's willing to depend upon him. I need water. Pardon me. So let me just ask this rhetorical question. As you consider your own family, as you, as you think about your own life right now, are you trying to do this on your own? Are you trying to do it yourself? Are you trying to make things happen in your own strength? How would you score yourself? You know, if you were real, genuine, how would you score your dependence upon God? Okay, here's four quick things that will show us um, that happen when I'm in my own strength. Just because you see this doesn't mean you're in your own strength, but these are things that typically do happen. And I relate to all these things at times. One, anger. When I'm trying to make something happen and I fail, I get angry. Two, anxiety. There's this worry upon me because if it's all up to me, I got to do it. Depends on me. Three, impatience. I'm trusting God to do it. He'll do it. But God, do it today. Do it in my timetable, not yours. <laughs> That's a me more than I. And number four, emptiness. You know, I just, my strength is gone because I've just spent myself trying to make things happen. And, you know, can Christians have burnout? Absolutely. Should they? No. So only the Lord can build a family. Trying to build without God is useless. Only the Lord can protect a family. And number four, I can't do enough. Text goes on, Psalm 127 too. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Man, where was this scripture when I was in high school? You know, Terry, time to get up. Um, excuse me, Dad, but... Scripture says it's vain to get up early. <laughs> How do you think that might have worked out? <laughs> this scripture is not a promotion for sleeping in. Okay, that is not what this is about. This is an injunction against getting up early in your own strength, tackling the day. This is the day I'm going to take hold of it. And, and, and all of that power of positive thinking hooey. Yeah, I said hooey in church. Lisa, say hooey. Come on, honey, just say it once. What? Say, say, say hooey. Can you believe it? You came to church and you saw the preacher's wife yelling hooey from the front row in the middle of the sermon. You should have gone with your first instinct. Don't trust that. <laughs> um, it's vain to rise up early thinking, I, I, I can do this my way. And if we think we can you know, get up early and get after it and see God's highest accomplished for our family, we're just kind of kidding ourselves. Parenting um, is an example. In, in, in Christian culture, sometimes there is this thinking in Christian culture that there's a formula, and if you just do certain things as you raise your kids, 
They'll come out golden. And I have to tell you, it's not true. I've had three, and each one of them had needed a different formula. <laughs> it's true. It really is. We, we lean into, rightly so, the scripture, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's great scripture. It's a terrific, because it tells parents what to do, and it hints at the how. It hints at the how. We'll take a peek at this, but I'm going to save the real digging into this scripture until later, um, another time. But this word train up here, it means to put something in their mouth to be tasted. Train up a child. Put something in their mouth to be tasted, and when they get older, they won't depart from it. What's the taste you're putting in your child's mouth for God? What's the taste you're putting in your child's mouth for telling the truth? What's your taste, the taste you're putting in your child's mouth for not being the center of the universe and being selfish? Man, those are challenging words to me. You know, the Hebrew is literally initiate a child in accordance with his way. Emphasis on his. There's not a way. There's a way that's right for your child. You know, there's no one-size-fits-all formula that's going to deliver children to where they need to be. You've got to get to know them and learn their way, his way. And you need God for that. <laughs> you really do. God, you know, God tells us that getting up early in your own strength and trying to figure this out on your own, this is vanity. This is one of the reasons why, as a church, we believe in dedicating your children. We love to see parents say, God, help us figure out how to do this because you're going to be the one that builds this house. I encourage you. I don't care if your kids are three days or 30. Well, well maybe 30. <laughs> I can't lift a 30-year-old, but whatever. <laughs> There's only one gate of entrance to eternal life, and that is through the person, Jesus Christ. That is the only gate. Acceptance of Christ as Lord and Savior. And I believe, this is my opinion, I believe delivering your child to that gate is by far the biggest responsibility any parent has. More than college, more than how to throw a curveball, or how to make cookies. It's more important than that. And the thing is, a parent can lead their child up to that gate. But the child has to pass through the gate of their own accord, by their own choice. And there is nothing that any person can do to guarantee that another person will get saved. It's not our department. We don't have that power. And we don't have that responsibility. We have the responsibility to lead them to the gate and put the taste there that they want to go through. All we can do is humbly, independently come before Almighty God and, 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 and cry out to Him, Lord, my family, I need you in my family. You know, do the things with God for us that I can't, we can't do. Only God can protect our kids. Only God can deliver them to the kingdom. He's the only one that can do that. And I just want to say as I wrap up and we're about to pray, is that this whole passage does not condemn human effort. It is not against working hard. It's against working hard without God. Hope you catch that. I wasn't telling you to not work hard or try things. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Our clear response is two things. 
One, invite Christ into the center of your life if you have it. And two, invite Christ into the center of your home. I'm going to pray about both of those things. You can just join in and agree with those prayers. I invite you to do that. Lord, I, I just know that I'm a sinner. And I know, Lord, that there is no way for me to save myself. I can try it with my absolute best intent. But somewhere I'm going to fall short. Your scripture says that all fall short. But that you love me so much in spite of the fact that I fall short. In fact, Lord, I'm taken by the truth that you know me, my yesterdays and my todays. You know me at my absolute worst in my entire life, and you still love me. You still love me. Thank you, God, for that, that you love me this much. I pray, Lord, that that truth would settle into the soul of every person here, especially those who don't know you personally. Scripture says there is no one can come to the Father but by Christ. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. All who call on the name of Christ, if you call on him Savior, you'll be saved. I encourage you right now, in your heart, if you, are, if you agree with that and you think, I need to be right with God so that eternity is right with me, then just right now, just, just, just say to the Lord in your prayer, you don't have to say it out loud, Lord, come into my heart. I want to know you as Savior. Help me. Name you. I name you as Savior. Walk with me, Lord. You just pray that prayer. And then sometime today, church, some person, if you've, if you've opened your heart to the Lord, you tell somebody because you need to confess that. You need to share it. That's part, that's part of what will solidify that in your soul. And Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for people who have heard those words and now are responding to the, the, the call of your spirit. Scripture says that no one can save unless the Father draws. And thank you, Lord, for doing that. And Lord, I want to also um, admit to you that building my family, sometimes I've tried to do it without you. Sometimes partially, sometimes completely. Forgive me for that stupidity, Lord. It's my own stupidity. Sometimes it's my own pride or my own rebellion. Whatever it is, Lord, forgive me for that. My heart, Lord, is to somehow get behind the king who knows how to love properly and how to, to actually love and protect and to build. I invite you to do that, Lord in my family. We invite you, Lord, to do that in our families, and we acknowledge that, Lord, we can't really succeed at it without you. Say those things in the name of Jesus.